Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So glad you're able to join us today for worship. I hope that you've been enjoying the series of While We Wait and uh, not are not getting too, uh, you have to wait too much for the series to go through. Uh, it's been a great series to be able to investigate. And I think God will teach us something else new today about what we can do while we wait. Let's pray. Father, as we open the word, we the story today of Moses, we pray that you'll teach us exactly what you'd have us know and help us to be able to settle into that and be able to embrace it as part of our lives while we wait in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I had this anxious hunger to be a grown-up. From my childish perspective, it seemed the grown-ups had a say. They got to call the shots, make the decisions. They had jobs to go to and paychecks to cash. The jobs adults would give me seemed to have two bad flaws. First, it didn't really seem to make any difference whether the assignment they gave me got done or not. And second, there was no remuneration, no paycheck, no tangible reward for a job well done. It seemed as I grew older that some jobs were really good to have and some jobs were not so good to have. From a young age, the the culture impressed me that all work, all jobs weren't the same. My dad was an electrician. He had a, a number of men who worked with him, several of my uncles and others. We weren't in poverty by a long shot. But I had friends at school who had family members who were in other professions that required college graduates, uh, postgraduate work, and, and they were quite a bit further from poverty than our family. So one of the first dividers I, I learned was the economic divide for various jobs. Another divide that seemed pretty evident was there were some parents of some of my friends who worked for the church as opposed to all the others who were engaged in what some called secular work. Regardless of the category, there there is this almost innate hunger in children to join their parents' work. I mean, kids will play going to work. They'll play working around the home. And if they're around their parents while they're doing business on the phone, the children may actually pretend to be on an important call as they imitate the one side of the business calls they've been privileged to hear. Waiting for their time to come can be a long wait. I think it may be worse when there is a clear expectation that a son or a daughter has an occupational destiny. We see this less today than maybe a century ago. It was often an assumed reality that the children would enter the family business. Dad's owns a print shop. The kids will be printers. The family farm is called the family farm because there's this unwritten expectation that all the work of preceding generations that have created this modicum of success will be built on by the next generation to keep the farm going. He wasn't born in a pandemic. His mom wasn't worried about a virus. He was born when being born an Israelite baby boy was a deadly proposition. Pharaoh had ordered that all the baby boys be tossed into the Nile River. 
So it was risky time to be born, hidden for a while, and then set in that bulrushes with that little basket boat. Destiny was set, plucked from the river by Pharaoh's daughter, put in the care of his own mother for his primary childhood, and then moved into Pharaoh's best education program, trained towards Pharaohship. While it wasn't revealed to Moses, I I think he had a sense that he was destined for something. Maybe part of Moses' impetuousness and his anger to kill the Egyptian, who was mistreating one of the Israelites, had roots in wondering when his career would kick in. He left Jochebed in Amram's home at the age of 12, And he's been part of the royal family living in the palace, trained academically by the best teachers of Egypt, mentored by Egypt's best generals and commanders of armies, apprenticed to the wisest legal minds as he understands the government and its operations and the laws and the processes of Egypt. For 28 years, he has been being prepared for some future post that always seems to say, just a bit further in the future. We've seen films, maybe you've read books, uh, maybe known families where the handoff to the next generation seems stuck. Many today watch the royal family in Great Britain and talk about poor Charles. Will his mother ever give him the throne? In the meantime, there is undoubted anxiety for him. And it's often true that founders of businesses, especially family businesses, have a hard time trusting the next generation. And handoffs get delayed, and the younger generation may abandon the family business in order to move on into their own thing and get going. Moses is 40 years old when Pharaoh puts a bounty on his head and Moses flees to Midian. When we're on track headed to some opportunity, some goal, some seeming big life plan, and we make some serious mistake that seems to send us in a totally different direction, what do we do with the original life plan? I think Moses was pretty sure whatever the whole basket boat to Pharaoh's palace plan had been, that now it was over. He's in Midian. He marries the priest of Midian's daughter, goes to work in the family sheep business. I'm not sure if Moses was waiting now for God's plan or if Moses is just in limbo or or did he buy in and adopt this new life? Or maybe God is actually waiting for him to unlearn some of Egypt's schooling and to learn what the sheep have to teach him. For 40 years, that's four 10-year careers, he shepherds sheep. I know he has much has to watch the sheep and watch for predators of the sheep and keep dumb sheep from doing dumb stuff. But but I'm just guessing a shepherd in that culture would have a, a good deal of time for pondering, for letting his thoughts just run. I doubt his home in Midian was any comparison to the royal palace. He had been trained as a leader of people, and now his troops are sheep. His family of origin is still under the yoke of slavery. He's been unable to help and seems that will be continue to be the case in the future. I imagine he reviewed his life. 12 years with his birth parents, 28 years in the Egyptian palace of the royal family, and now he's checking off birthdays, 41, 42, 43, and eventually he will get to 80. We, we have no record that Moses had any knowledge of God's plan for his first 80 years. 
Sure, there was maybe a sense that his special birth and the basket boat palace story was a sign that God had a plan, but at best it was a general sense of calling, nothing specific. His ending up a shepherd in the desert for 40 years was a result of his one breakout action to help his people, and that hadn't worked out too well. I believe when Moses saw that burning bush that day, he had no idea, but was just curious. And then when God called, commissioned, gave him his marching orders, it seems that any pride of education from Egypt was gone. Non-conversational shepherd's work had tied his tongue. Winning debates in the debate class back in Egypt was a distant memory. He's sure he can't speak well enough, and he uses this as an excuse, and God has to engage Aaron, his brother, to help. We don't have time today to delve into the encounter with Pharaoh, the plagues, the Passover, the leaving of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, bitter water at Marah, the manna and trips to Sinai and striking a rock to get the water and 12 spies with 10 coming back and saying, give up the the case and and the U-turn at the border and the building of the sanctuary and the various rebellions and battles. Eventually, eventually it was clear to Moses that he was not leading the people out of Egypt for just a short religious festival, but was leading them to a land that had been promised to his ancestor Abraham. I'm guessing this must have dawned on him pretty soon after, after leaving Egypt. So for this last time frame of his life, he's waiting to cross over into the promised land. And now in our story, he, Moses is 120 years old. Three, three 40-year chapters, 0 to 40, childhood and training in Egypt, 41 to 80, shepherd in Midian, and finally 81 to 120, leading Israel through the wilderness. I have to imagine from my reading of the story that there, there must have been a lot of days during that last 40-year chapter when he longed, longed to be a shepherd back in Midian instead of taking care of these Israelites. In this 120-year story, we have two failures of Moses. He kills the Egyptian, mistreating an Israelite, and he strikes the rock to which he was supposed to speak. And so for all these years, what does Moses do while he awaits the promised land? In his early years, he does what he's told. He gets up each morning, and whatever instructions for the day are from his mom and dad, like every child, before and after, he operates within the framework of childhood. When he turns 12, his world changes and he lives within the framework of the life of the palace. He shows up at mealtimes as he's supposed to. He attends classes as he is supposed to. He works out on the athletic field as he's required. He shadows his various mentors following the leadership development plan that has been set for him. In Midian, he takes care of his home, the responsibilities there, and then it's off to work to care for the sheep. He helps raise Gershom, his son. He simply lives his life and does his work. There's all the fanfare of challenging Pharaoh and seeing old palace friends as he goes back, watching God deliver his people while there are some moments of God showing up. Basically, while he waits for the promise of the new land, what he does while he waits is he faithfully gets up and does the duties each day of regular life. (laughs) Sounds sort of humdrum. But work, going to work, expanding work, faithfulness in work, taking work seriously, understanding that doing good work honors God. 
We don't give much attention to Jesus' work prior to his ministry. We are simply told that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There was early childhood filled with learning play like any young child. At some point, his young internship apprentice with his Joseph would, in the carpenter shop would have begun. And let's just say that that, that uh, mentorship apprenticeship started at age 12. If that's the case, then he worked in the carpenter shop four times as long as his ministry time in public ministry. And in that craftsmanship, in that faithfulness to duty, that learning of new practices in the trade, he too modeled what we do while we wait. We just do regular life, rest and work and play and eat. In the little book, Steps to Christ, we find this quote I just love. The greater part of our Savior's life on earth was spent in patient toil in the carpenter shop at Nazareth, ministering angels attended the Lord of life as he walked side by side with peasants and laborers. Unrecognized, unhonored, he was as faithfully fulfilling his mission. Did you hear that? He was as faithfully fulfilling his mission while working at his humble trade as when he healed the sick or walked upon the storm-tossed waves of Galilee. So in the humblest duties and lowliest positions of life, we may walk and work with Jesus. Maybe we've been influenced by the Levites in the story of Israel being set aside as the temple workers because they elevated themselves to a status position of being superior to the other Israelites. But that was not the original case. It was simply a function, not a status. I would love to have a copy of How to Raise a Godly Child by Jacobet. What tracks did she put down that built faith into the young Moses? You see, faith in God, like Moses had had, provides you and me with an, an inner ballast without which work and culture of work could destroy us. Somehow Moses' identity was tied to his faith in God. When he entered the palace of Pharaoh, the life and leisure and culture could have made demands on him, and his identity could have become tied with the prince of Egypt. He he could let go of his identity as God's child, part of God's people. He could have gotten his self-worth through his identity as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But something that Jochebed did in those first 12 years grounded his faith identity in who he was as God's child. Faith in God enables Moses to value all work as God's work, to see the dignity in all work. There are many texts that that talk about God feeding his creatures and caring for this world. How does he do that? God feeds you by the good work of the farmer. He clothes you by the good work of the the sheep herder or the cotton farmer and the work of those who weave and sew and, and, and the truckers who bring the products to the store and the clerks who sell them to you. It is through the work of humans, often simple, almost overlooked work, that God cares for you and me. William Deal has said, work is God's way of caring for his creatures. Faith in God provides a moral compass without which work could corrupt us. If if you take time to read the stories of Moses' life, you can see a, a moral compass of seeking to please God. The writers of the Hebrews put it this way, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Listen, from Moses, we can learn a great lesson of what to do while we wait. We simply live life. We get up and we go to work. We, we find our identity in God and not in our work, but we value all work as God's work. We recognize that full-time Christian work is not the exclusive privilege of those paid by the church, but every follower of Christ, regardless of career, is a full-time Christian worker. You are a full-time Christian worker. And while, like Moses, we, are, we often cannot know the, the future, when we're on year two of 40 years of watching sheep, we have no idea of God's plan to set his people free. So we are called to live in the now, to just engage in our work, that whatever we do, we will we'll do our work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord we will receive the reward of the inheritance, for it is Christ, the Lord Christ whom we serve. And while we wait and do our job filled with faith, we also value every other person's work while we wait. Too often, too often we wait for the big deal in our denomination. People love to get all wrapped up in the last day events and the big deals that haven't happened yet. People are concerned that the end is upon us and, and what should we do? I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 verses 7 to 10. He says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So it's, it's not real flashy. seems sort of humdrum. But from Moses and from Jesus' time in the carpenter shop, we can learn what to do while we wait. And that is simply be faithful in our duties of regular life. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. And our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church. Dot church slash podcast and plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the whole life church inspiration you love straight into your headphones thanks for listening and have a great week <laughs>